Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome to this very special episode. The first ever all-Bigfoot edition of Monsters Among Us. But before we get started, I'd like to take a moment to thank the organizers of the Mothman Festival in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. I recently attended for the first time, and I have to say, I had a really awesome time. The vendors, the speakers, and the lemonade made the six hours of driving completely worth it. I highly recommend visiting next year if you find yourself in the area. And I'd also like to take a second to thank David Flora of Blurry Photos and Justin Zenger from Zeng This Podcast for meeting me and showing me around. I had a great time with those fellas. I believe they are each posting a short interview with me, so be sure to check out both of those amazing programs for those segments. Thanks again, guys. As I mentioned a moment ago, tonight's episode is going to be a Bigfoot special. This is something I've been wanting to do for a while, and I finally have a collection of calls to get it done. So, without further hesitation, here we go. As you may have heard on last week's episode, I'm currently in Ohio for the month, and that means I'm doing my fair share of hiking in Bigfoot country. I did a few short hikes in Cuyahoga Valley National Park, Hawking Hills, and last but not least, Salt Fork State Park. Unfortunately, I was not able to see the big fella on any of my excursions, but I have seen his supposed haunts, and I couldn't help but imagine that the mysterious creature was hiding behind this hill or around that next bend. It sort of makes you consider each subtle thump, strange wail, and every single twig snap. The vast expanse of woodland really makes you wonder exactly what is out there. Our first caller of the evening likely had his experience in just such a place. This is Christian's call from the state of Pennsylvania. Hi, my name is Christian uh, from Pennsylvania. This was about um, August, July, July, August, summertime. We were next to, uh, me and my brother went fishing, night fishing, at a reservoir we used to always go to that was next to a national park. And um, 
it was like 11 o'clock at night. We had to walk two, two, three miles down into the, through the woods to get to the reservoir. And where we fished, it was like a, like the reservoir had, was like it, it came in. So where you were, where we were set up, we could look across like 300 feet to the other shore. And then it opened up to the, to the full reservoir. Well, we were sitting there fishing for a while. Bass were jumping. It was hot. And we were there for like two hours. And <clears throat> around that second hour mark, we started hearing walking on the other side. <clears throat> like heavy walking. So we weren't sure if someone else was coming or <clears throat> what was up. And then we started to hear, I guess, would be tree knocking. And this is in 2000, so it, tree knocking wasn't on my radar then, or any of that stuff wasn't on my radar at all. So I'm just thinking someone's banging a stick against a tree. <clears throat> Keeps happening two, three at a time, and then it would stop, <clears throat> and then the feet would come a little closer. And then it was right across from us, and it was up the hill, so it was across like the water, then up the hill, about like a quarter mile. I kept hearing it, chop, pop, pop. Not chop, like pop, pop, pop. And then we, we were just like starting to get freaked out a little bit. It was starting to get eerie and scary. And my, I was with my brother. I was 20. He was 27. And right around... Like, about, it would stop. It would, you know, so about two hours of this going on. It was, uh, we're just like, someone's over there messing with us, whatever. All of a sudden, like a big tree just gets pushed down, hits the ground. Me and him just look at each other like, let's go. So it just scared us to death. <clears throat> so we're running up the trail on the way out. The whole time we're running up on the trail. I mean, I've never been so afraid of anything in my life. I could feel something on the outside of us just, like, trailing us. Didn't really hear it or anything because we were running. And there's still leaves on the ground where, where we are. It just doesn't get decomposed there. It's like, maybe through, but it stays there. And we just were scared to death running up that trail. This thing was pushing us out. It didn't make any noise, didn't. It wasn't verbal, but the presence was definitely there. And it ran us up, got in the car, drove away, and that's it. And I know it's a quick story, but I never was going to ever tell anybody about this. I mean, we talk, me and my brother talk about it. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah. But me and him, though, we know exactly what happened that night. Don't know what it was. Don't know if it was a Bigfoot. Don't know. But something was there. Something was banging on a tree, and something pushed that tree, big tree down. And um, that's my story. Thanks. Thank you, Christian. I'm going to start off by playing a quick sample of a supposed wood knock. The following sample was taken from YouTube user Study Sasquatch. The sample was recorded on the night of October 1st, 2010, in an undisclosed location. I will play the clip twice.
Now, there are a few logical explanations for wood knocks that also apply to Christian's experience. That list includes, but is not limited to, woodpeckers, natural branch breaks, falling nuts such as walnuts and hickory, and probably, most likely, and most often overlooked, other Bigfoot researchers knocking on the opposing ridge, waiting for their own reply. That info aside, there is another factor at play in situations such as these. Paranoia. Being in the dark in the woods already puts most on edge. Then a few strange noises pop up out of nowhere, and next thing you know, you're all kinds of freaked out. It doesn't take much to get your mind going. The third and final factor in Christian's story is the falling tree. Now sure, it's possible that the tree just happened to fall at the very moment that he was in the woods. I've actually had that happen to me. But, with everything else in play, it's difficult to chalk it up to coincidence. So, bottom line here is that I have no idea what Christian experienced, but I can honestly say that if I were in the same situation, I'd probably begin questioning if I was alone as well. Thanks again, Christian, for taking the time to share your encounter. Our next story of the evening is one that was submitted anonymously and involves a subject that is highly controversial in the Bigfoot community. Here is that experience. In 2013, my son and I were deer hunting near our home in western South Carolina. It was in mid-December and we were hunting in the afternoon over a small winter wheat field. We were in a raised box blind. Right at dark, I shot a deer and it ran back into the woods next to the field. We got out of the blind and started following the blood trail to recover the deer. After going about 50 yards with our flashlights into the thick pines, all of a sudden an extremely loud whoop hit us from the direction the deer ran in. It came from the ground and sounded like it was about 20 yards away. We both looked at each other and said, what was that? My son, who was 10 at the time, got really scared. I acted like it was no big deal to calm him, but it truly scared me. The sound was deep and I felt it as much as I heard it. I immediately felt the need to get back to the field. I started scanning with my flashlight. I spotted the dead deer just ahead and we grabbed it and got back to the field. The whole time we were dragging it, it felt like we were being followed. We needed to go back to my truck to get the deer home. We'd driven my wife's Suburban, and she probably wouldn't have appreciated a dead deer in the back. So we left the deer in the field for a one-mile drive home. I fully expected that deer to be gone when we got back with the truck, but it was still there. But the whole time we were loading it up, I still had the creepy feeling that we were being watched from the woods. I'm getting goosebumps as I'm typing this now. It still freaks me out. I think whatever it was was walking up to the deer from the opposite direction and we just got there at the same time. I've listened to supposed Bigfoot sounds online, and the whoop we heard is among the sounds that have been recorded by researchers. I've also seen ghost lights on this same property, from the same deer stand on two occasions. Both times I thought it was someone's flashlight that was trespassing, but when I looked through binoculars, I couldn't make out a person, just a bluish-white glow floating through the trees. I never associated the lights with Sasquatch at the time, but but since I've heard many stories that link the two things. Thank you. 
First off, thank you for your submission. While the initial experience was creepy in itself, I want to focus on the last part of the story. The mention of strange glowing lights in the forest is something I'd like to touch on. The storyteller is correct here. There is a suggested correlation between Bigfoot sightings and the sighting of bright lights or orbs in close proximity to the creature. Some suggest that the glowing is a byproduct of the creature's ability to cloak or disappear at will. Still others suggest the creature is extraterrestrial in nature and that the lights are a part of the craft that transports it. I'm willing to admit that I'm not a member of either camp. I find it very hard to believe either of these two theories. They're simply too off the wall for me. Which I suppose is why this theory is controversial. So, I'm going to table this discussion for now, but I do plan to expound on it in a later episode. Up next is a call that gets scary fast. This is Andy's Call. So, for the sake of privacy, I'd rather the exact location remain anonymous, since I still do traverse this area often. little background about myself. I'm an avid outdoorsman. I backpack for weeks at a time, at least once a year, and do several three- to five-day backcountry trips as the weather allows sporadically. I'm not easily shaken, and I often test myself on these trips, taking a minimal amount of gear and supplies with me uh, in a way to force myself to survive off what is around me with some minor comfort, such as a hammock, sleeping bag, small stove, fly rod, and backup 1911. Uh, of course, I have water and a solid knife as well. Uh, so, let's just say I was in southern Appalachia. I was on uh, day four, backpacking during a mild February of 2016. I had spent the day continuing across what little trail there was to be on. Um, cut across different trails uh, to intersect with streams to catch aggressive brook trout for fun but also for sustenance uh, most of the area in, uh, is virgin or close to virgin forest uh, large oaks and elms cover most of the landscape big boulders protrude from the ground near the stream along with the usual thick rhododendron uh, it's it's also fairly steep near these mountain streams with plunge pools maybe every 15 feet Typically, I try to make it and to an approved campsite, but this evening had kind of snuck up on me. The fishing was just really good this day. Uh, <laughs> so, realizing there was little chance of me being able to make it to one before dark, I opted to just make camp in the nearest suitable location and get some fish cooking. Spent about 30 minutes or so gathering wood, getting the fire going uh, while I could still see well enough. And once the fish were on, I continued with the rest of camp basically my hammock, rainfly, and sleeping bag. Uh, while I was setting things up, I noticed acorns falling all around me. Uh, it was strange because there wasn't really any wind uh, and, and to knock any free, but you know, I assumed it was the dropping temperature allowing them to break off. Um, it was while I was finally eating my fish in the dark that I realized that it was a little late in the year for acorns to be dropping, especially the number that had fallen. Knowing that your mind is the greatest enemy in a situation like this, I just buried the thought, stoked up my fire uh, as a morale booster uh, before bed, uh, and then got into the hammock. And then I thought about it, and the acorns seemed far too consistent. Uh, no more than that thought crossed my mind, and one actually caught on my hammock and landed on top of my chest or sleeping bag. 
and it wasn't an acorn at all, but a rock about the size of a dime. I quickly, uh, you know, I quickly uh, got up, hopped out to confront whatever jackass had decided to sneak up on me. Nobody had ever done this before, but you know, it's the first time for everything. Adrenaline kind of clouded my judgment for a moment because I, I jumped out and forgot to grab my pistol. Uh, eventually, like pretty quickly, uh, I grabbed it uh, as my senses came back, and then I hid in the shadows. I'm not, you know, I'm not someone to let anybody get the jump on me, so I simply relaxed with my back to the tree and fire a lot and waited for my eyes to just at the distant forest. I assume it was around 9 or 10 at the time, uh, since it had been dark for close to four hours. Uh, it was a new moon uh, when the trip had started, so I didn't really have any help. Uh, anything but the fire, really, as far as uh, light to assist my vision. After what seemed an hour of complete silence and no one coming out of the darkness, the fire began to dwindle, so I went to add some more wood and hopefully get a little more light or camper's confidence, as I like to call it. Uh, it's amazing what a good campfire can do for your nerves. Uh, as the fire began to grow, a rock close to the size of a car rim rolled down the ridge. It was easily visible in the firelight, and I gripped my pistol tighter to my hip and called out, with no answer. Five to ten minutes went by without a single sound. And then a similar sized rock rolled down the hill and stopped right at my fire. It seemed almost intentional for it to roll through it. Uh, and I started getting panicky. Uh, and began just a constant barrage of yells and calling out to the coward who was trying to mess with me while another rock rolled through my camp. Now this one... This one was larger than any of them, uh, com comparable, I would say, to like a 37-inch tire. My panic peaked, and I shot into the air. Uh, I continued yelling afterward that I wasn't playing and was in no mood for anyone's stupid games. And that was the end of my disturbance that night. I don't know what was there. Uh, I don't know what could have caused such an awful racket without hearing anything uh, in response from them. Uh, I do know that my gunshot was deafening and assumed that if anyone or anything ran, I most likely couldn't have heard them in that moment. Uh, there was zero sleep that night, and at, at first light, I was packed and heading home. This is my only strange experience in the woods that I have not been able to come up with a logical explanation for, and I've avoided that specific stream ever since. Thank you, Andy. This one gets a little intense. Small rocks are one thing, but boulders the size of hubcaps are another. It's not difficult to imagine that the encounter could have escalated to a dangerous situation quite easily. For those that aren't familiar, rock throwing is commonly attributed to Sasquatch and for good reason. There are several primate species that have been observed throwing rocks, sticks, and other items as an act of aggression and a warning to step off their turf. This particular story reminds me of one of my favorite television programs, Monster Quest, a History Channel program which ran for four seasons. The following clip is from the very first episode in which the team traveled to Snellgrove Lake in Canada to investigate recent Sasquatch activity. This is what they experienced. At around midnight, without warning, 
something happens. They were probably watching us this whole time. Of course. Of course they were. Something has thrown a rock at the camp. Did you hear that? That rock was pretty good size. I'm still shaking. It sounded to me like it hit from that side and hit this. I thought it came over the crest into this side. No, please. Let's stay here. We've had action though. We've had rocks thrown at us. Most eyewitness encounters end as suddenly and harmlessly as they began, but not at Snellgrove. Eyewitnesses claim this beast does not seem to like visitors. Oh, I don't know what would make that sound. I wasn't that close to it, but I really heard it. I, I can't believe it. I really can't believe it. Without warning, a rock flies out of the woods and hits the cabin. One of us was urinating off the porch. About when the first stone hit the side of the cabin. This rock on the side of the building was bang. That's scary. It's, it's amazing. It's always stuff you hear about that doesn't happen to you. I've been in the woods a lot. I camped a lot. And I was out in the woods all by myself last night. Camera crews scan the immediate area with the night vision and thermal cameras as the team retreats into the cabin. This is, weird. This, is, this is quite exciting, I have to admit. I've not experienced anything quite this dramatic before. One crew member threw a rock back into the woods, only to have another rock thrown back. Uh, and that was followed shortly after by a, a rather larger rock uh, bouncing down the roof of the cabin. Um, this is quite, quite distinct. Uh, obviously, there's nothing in the woods that's uh, recognized anyway, that can lob rocks in that fashion. And we're all together, I'm with everybody, so I know that it's nobody goofing around. While one cameraman scouts around the area, the rest of the team locked themselves into the cabin for the night. We came in from outside and we're, we're, we're cowering in here. I'm, I'm afraid for the first time and it was for sure a rock, and it was for sure on the roof of the building. Yeah, so we've, we're back inside the cabin at the moment. We've turned down the lights inside and so we can get a better view through the windows and just see if anything uh, goes through our uh, line of sight. Investigators from that episode include Doug Hijack and Dr. Jeff Meldrum. And finally, our final submission of the evening is a bit of a cheat. The following clip comes to us via YouTube, but I thought the story was too interesting not to share. This clip was found on the Apalachicola Skunk Ape Project page and is titled, Interview with a Retired Forest Ranger. It was 1998, I was 37 years old, I'd been working with the forestry department for 12 years. There was a fire in the Apalachicola National Forest that summer. The Bradwell Bay area was on fire when all this happened. The fire was raging pretty bad at this point. We didn't know if we would ever get it put out. That morning I had reported to the command center on Helen Guard Road to get briefed on what I would be doing that day. So me and another guy were given the task 
of driving around and looking for animals along the road of the Bradwell Bay area. Animals would make it to the road and usually fall out if they were injured or had real bad smoke inhalation. Our job was to pick them up and take them to the vets at the command center. The vets would treat them and on some occasions euthanize the ones that wouldn't make it. So we were driving around the area headed south doing about 45 miles per hour faster than I should have been driving but I was talking to my partner and didn't realize how fast I was going. All of a sudden we saw a black figure run out of the woods on all fours and it run right up under my driver's side tire. I hit the animal with both the front and back tires. I was driving a 95 Dodge Ram 4x4 so I knew at that speed I had killed it. Immediately we thought it was a bear and we got out to pick the bear up and put it in the truck. Upon further investigation we realized that what I had hit was not a bear at all. It was a creature that neither one of us had seen. It was about six feet tall, had legs, kneecaps, feet just like me and you. The arms hung to about the knee. One arm, a matter of fact, was down by its knee. The other one was up over its head. I had ran the creature over under its right underarm, across its shoulder blade, and back across of its neck. The creature was covered in hair about three to five inches long on the arms and legs and head. The hair on the back, ribs, and chest was much shorter. The muscle definition of the animal was phenomenal. It looked like a prize fighter or one of the guys you would see in the UFC. We flipped the animal over. The jaw was broken from where I'd hit it with the truck. I could see though it had a protruding snout much like that of a baboon or what you would think a werewolf looks like. It had eyes just like us. The thing looked a lot like a chimpanzee. We quickly radioed into the command center and they sent two FWC officials out to our location. Within about 15 minutes the FWC officials arrived and they told us they had never seen anything like it. So we all picked the animal up and loaded it into the back of their truck. The animal weighed about three to four hundred pounds, 
which dead weight is a lot. They told us they would figure out what it was and let us know. So we've been contacted by the command center at this point and they had told us to come on back and make a statement of what we saw. I really wonder if he actually hit an escaped chimpanzee. Either way, a very interesting story, to say the least. A link to all the clips heard in tonight's episode can be found in the show notes section of the website. And that's going to do it for this special episode, but before I roll out, hear this. If you have a story you'd like to share, hit up the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. The call is 100% free, and the hotline is always open. Or you can visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sighting tab for more options. While you're clicking things, be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. A simple five-star and a nice review goes a long way to ensure the survival of this show. Be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And also, join the community at the Monsters Among Us podcast fan page. The folks over there are posting some awesome things, so go be part of the conversation. I want to take a quick moment to recommend two great shows that just happen to be part of the Dark Myths Collective. Sam and Jason from Not Alone Podcast have something awesome going on. You can find them on iTunes or whatever it is they're calling it these days by searching Not Alone Podcast. They put on an amazing show where they explore topics near and dear to our hearts, including Mothman, Ghost, Cryptids, and all things strange. And I'll let the host of the second show tell you about theirs. Greetings, everyone. This is Andrew. And this is Caleb. We host the Iroquois History and Legends podcast. We dive into a deep, dark part of history that very few people have ever covered. We cover the history and culture of the Iroquois League, also known as the Haudenosaunee, or Six Nations. United together, they formed a representative government that predates all democracy in the Western Hemisphere. They interacted with almost every major European power that was involved in North America. Yet, you seem to know nothing about them. Round out your knowledge. Look us up. We're Iroquois History and Legends. I-R-O-Q-U-O-I-S. Iroquois History and Legends. Do me a solid and check them both out and tell them that Monsters Among Us sent you. Those of you that follow the show on Facebook may have noticed some new artwork. A very talented artist by the name of Corey Trim has signed on to do custom drawings for each show. So be sure to show him some love on social media and check out his page, a link to which can be found in the show notes. Welcome aboard, Corey, and thank you. I also want to take a moment to thank Jamie T. and Lubna A. for their extremely generous donations to the show. Thank you both. A big thanks to the amazing Warren Pawn Abbott for his vocal contributions. He does amazing work week in and week out, and I truly appreciate that. And lastly, I'm currently working with the very talented Julian Meyer from Cryptid Zoo on a new t-shirt design for the show. I'll let part of the cat out of the bag and say 
that this one is heavily inspired by the Mirrored Men. So if this is something you'd be interested in, please shoot me a little message saying so. If I get enough interest, I'll put these bad boys into print and get them up in the shop. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. 